Good morning. I'm standing here to introduce today's speaker. Um, I met um, Dr. Abe Johnson, or as we used to call ABA at that time, for, uh, first in 96, late 96, when um, my son was undergoing leukemia. He had come down with a couple of uh, friends to meet us and encourage us. And then the next year, uh, we actually worshipped together for a year, or a year plus. Uh, more than that, I think um, there are many here who are discipling in this church. Uh, many of your mentors actually have been mentored by him. So he's um, basically very much connected in that way. And um, George and uh, Dr. Abe Johnson knew each other much before, probably long before you got married, right? Yeah, uh, long before. So probably you want to hear those stories, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Now, uh, to talk more about him, uh, this is in his own words, apprehended by the Lord at nine years and migrated to the U.S. in 1980. He returned to India in 95 for three years for ministry. He returned to the U.S. in 1998, pursued theological training at, and graduated with THM from Dallas Theological Seminary. He completed a doctorate in higher education, higher education leadership from Texas Tech, now serving as vice president and provost at Collin College. He's married to Bina and together parents of three grown-up boys and grandparents of three special boys, one in heaven and two on earth. He loves to read, fascinated by Second World War history and historical Jesus. He loves expository teaching and uh, mentoring young believers and leaders in both Christian and secular levels. He loves to invest in human capital, ultimately for the kingdom of God. So, Ebi, welcome. Uh, can we give him a clap? Um, we'll just pray. Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to remember you, your death on the cross, your sacrifice, your resurrection, and your ascension to heaven. And thank you for that. And thank you that you helped us to take part of the table that reminded us of the great sacrifice. And now as we listen to your word, help us that it will transform us that it wouldn't be just um, tickling of, your, of our intellect or our other faculties for some time, but that it will really transform us in Christ's precious name. I'm still in AB uh, for all of the folks who know me by that name. The reason I had to go to Abe is in, in the U.S., there's no such name as A-B. My name is spelled with A-B-B-E-Y, which is Abby. 
which belongs to a girl, Abigail, right? And also there was a famous female um, newspaper column writer. Uh, well, there you go. Siri is my friend. Um, so there was a column writer uh, who gave advice to people. Her name was Dear Abby. So she was Abigail. So I encountered a lot of Dear Abby questions, I guess, with my A-B-B-E-Y name. And so I decided to go to what my original, you know, when, when you study theology, you want to go to the original intent of the writing of the scripture and things of that nature. So I went back to the original intent of my naming by my father. He named me after my grandfather to be Abraham. So Abraham, in short, is Abe. And there I am. <laughs> so all the other stuff, the doctor stuff and all those things are just fluff. Just, just. Um, anyways. Um, I was um, planning to visit uh, many of the people in this church. Um, this visit was uh, for my, my ailing father to spend some time with him. And... Uh, as I was planning to come, I've been getting some calls from here, keeping touch with people. Stan C. is in Dallas, and we get together um, every other week uh, in, to uh, pray together and things of that nature. So, um, And then last time Stan C. came here and came back, he almost took a ticket to come back. So all, there's a lot of, lot of uh, undercurrents there. And um, so... I decided that I need to come and catch up with some of the lives here. Um, several years ago, in 95 to 98, um, I had a bunch of guys who, uh, I was in my 30s, and had a bunch of guys who uh, came to our house and kind of hung out out, 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 uh, out, <coughs> out at our house, um, days on. And uh, sometimes my wife, dear wife, had to give me the eye to get them out of the house. Um, because she was tired of making chaya for all of them. <laughs> but um, they were my boys, they were my girls, they were our kids, and to come back and see them with their own kids is a good thing. And to see them uh, active in the Lord and serving the Lord is, is even better. Um, George and I go back to our college days, and uh, we're, I'm not going to... Uh, uh, say anything to put either one of our reputation down. So, <laughs> one thing I'll tell you: we we used to play tennis late at night and then go to a very cheap restaurant that stayed open at night called uh, Dennis. <laughs> that we have done a few times, but uh, those were the days. So there was another George in the picture. He is somewhere in Alberta, I think. So, uh, Lord has uh, been faithful to all of us and has walked us through. Uh, through uh, life in various ways, and we can all look back and look at our kids and the extended family, our other kids who are here just to just to uh, sit back and enjoy and enjoy how faithful he is so i didn 't I, when I was talking to Liju and Benji and others here. Uh, you were just having this major Abe Johnson event or something, and uh, uh, all of you being, or really most of you being, the being of the engineering mind, 
works based on algorithms, right? It's all it's all coding and algorithm and things of that nature. So he wanted every little bit of information. At some point, I said, I'm just going to say something. And finally, they got the message. They said, whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, just do it. So I put something together. And of course, um, I, I'm not afraid of technology, and therefore it was in a thumb drive. But I, get, I think that technology is afraid of me. I don't know where my thumb drive is. So, so I'm going to wing it. Um, I was winging it last night at CG's, stayed up until, until 12 or something. So if this doesn't make any sense, blame them. <laughs> I wanted us to discuss, and this is 45 minutes, so I need to put, you know, I have this habit of uh, going on and on and on and on, so I'm going to put something here so that will remind me. So about 40 minutes left? Okay. All right. Uh, I want us to discuss together, I mean this is as much for me as, as, as much it is for you all. I'm always a student, I always will be a student of the word. Um, I want us to discuss uh, a few things um, that has been in my mind and bothering me and, and uh, pushing me in multiple directions uh, as it relates to the church and walk with the Lord. I've had uh, several interactions with young people, I and mean, I've walked in and saw so many of you. And I, I told Georgie, uh, George, I call him Georgie, um, that uh, that you know I'm in my element here. So I've worked with a lot of young people, or have, and continues to. And anecdotally, experientially, I can say that and the number one reason for many relationships, I'm not talking just the interest and infatuations and things of that nature, it's just male to female, male to male, friendship, peers, all of these relationships. Number one reason that many of those relationships go sour or fail to progress is because one of the person, one of the partners, um, in the relationship is not authentic. And I heard that word uh, earlier today as well, in worship as well. So when one of the partners is not authentic, trust is lost and then the relationship goes south. I would venture to say in like manner, the number of obstacles for um, our peers to see Christ uh, and through us see Christ is is the obstacles come in the way when they sense that we are not authentic. When others see that our relationship with the Lord is not authentic, then the message somewhat get the, the, the reach of the message is somewhat compromised. When Christ is not easily visible in a Christ follower, Others wonder if it's worth to follow Christ. Apostle Paul explains it this way. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 to 27. I also, this morning, I asked the CG, can I have a Bible? Because I didn't want to carry a large Bible when I was traveling. And he said, which version do you want? So... I ended up with whatever version he gave me, and I told him, it's just for ornamental purposes. All my stuff is in here. So there is a Bible, 
don't judge me if I don't open the Bible. Um, this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 25 to 27. Paul writes this way. I became its servant, the, mess, the servant of the way, by the commission God gave to me to fully proclaim to you the word of God. Verse 26. The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed to, again, his saints. So the fully proclaiming the word revealed to his saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of its mer- this mercy, this mystery, which is, and watch it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when this is the crux of the matter of following Christ, that Christ is formed in you, Christ is in us, and that forms the that 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 gives the others the hope of glory, and somehow, because of us not being authentic or real or genuine, Christ's hope is not seen by others. That's been something that is bothering me, because even my, in my secular life, I want to be cognizant of the fact that. When others look at me, others interact with me, others um, converse with me, whatever the scenario, whatever my, the touch point is that I have with them, when they are in my space and I'm in their space, are they seeing the hope of glory, which is Christ, in me? And I have to constantly readjust and recalibrate to make sure that that hope is seen by others. So I'd like for us to discuss today um, four interconnected and somewhat progressively sequenced uh, practices that is essential for being an effective and relevant and authentic Christian. And uh, to help us remember, I'm I'm using um, iterations that uses the same same, um, same letter. So they are real, which is authentic, relevant, redemptive, and restorative. Real, relevant, redemptive, and restorative. And when we throw out uh, terms like this, the terms have different meanings in different cultures and different generations. So I want to start by looking at uh, authentic and define it and then move on. Uh, when we try to define, define things, you know, um, just like any, any smart scholar like, I, like me, we go to Google, right? That's how we find definitions. I went to Google and found a definition. I want to read it to you. Uh, real or um, the, the definition of authentic, authenticity is of undisputed origin and not a copy. This is from Oxford Dictionary. Of undisputed origin and not a copy, genuine, original, real, bona fide, true, and veritable. And interestingly, Oxford uses a uh, Indian uh, Indian or a uh, Indian word as well, pakka. So authentic means you're pakka, right? Um, so my question to you and me is: How real? 
or authentic are you as a Christ follower? Again, if we are not, these four are interconnected. If we are not authentic, we become irrelevant. When we are irrelevant, we cannot be redemptive. Our, our whole life should be redemptive, showing others to Christ. And when we are not redemptive, we cannot be restoring community, restoring the body of Christ and each other. So all of these are somewhat interconnected. So let's look at um, authentic or real. There are two components. There are various ways you can slice this one, but I'm just sticking with a couple of these. Being authentic requires authentic worship. And I was just really moved uh, emotionally and spiritually uh, just to see how involved you are in this worship and, uh, and how God uses some of you to bring out that sense of worship here. So authentic worship is absolutely necessary to be authentic. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to look at a couple of portions in the scripture and a couple of those were mentioned earlier here as well. There are two portions in the scripture that points us to two people who were thrust into a scenario of worship which forced some things out of them. Number one is probably very familiar to all of you, the prophet Isaiah. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, you can see he was thrust into a heavenly worship type of scenario and then it, it, it changes him. So let me read that portion for you. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, and they each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their uh, feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations and the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, or in other translations, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of the armies, then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that, had, that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And again, I'm not going to, into a deeper exposition of this. Just general, some general observations of, a, of an authentic worship that, uh, that we see here. An authentic worship always will have a very high view of God. A very high view of God. He was explaining 
what he saw and you can see the limits that humanness his humanness has placed on him i know uh, benji and others uh, talked about the voice of the lord and in multiple portions were were read uh, if you, it's fascinating to see if you were to whether it's paul or isaiah or john or or peter whoever is writing about their vision of what they have seen uh, the divine author gives them all these this wonder, wonderful uh, detailed uh, um, uh, orientation of what it is but then they are, the human author is trying to write it down to the to uh, to make the uh, his or her uh, audience understand and they find it difficult to write what they exactly have seen human language finds its limits when we try to explain who god is here isaiah tries his best in and gives us a pretty picturesque uh, view but we can see how he's struggling he's struggling to explain the greatness and the might and the power and the glory and who he is in human terms it's very very difficult so uh, authentic worship uh, will uh, um always have a high view of god high view of god where we find our own limits in explaining we try and we ought to try but we find that uh, we are incapable of really explaining who he really is in his in his glory secondly uh, a a true view of authentic worship will give oneself a true view of one's own inadequacies and imperfect self when he was watching this he his immediate response was woe to me i'm undone so authentic worship even as we sit and contemplate on the lord and and in uh, the mood of worship which which then should shed light to our inadequacies our our inabilities how undone we are in the presence of perfection in the presence of absolute perfection so authentic worship uh, does that thirdly uh, a willing heart to accept god's corrective or cleansing grace a willing heart to accept god's corrective uh, uh, corrective or cleansing grace here when he says i am undone the seraphim flies over and uh it 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 it's a graphic description of uh, getting a coal and placing it on 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 Isaiah that's the corrective and cleansing grace once that's done then the person who with that kind of an experience follows God's command here i am send me so Uh, authentic worship should have all of these these elements high view of god a true view of our own self uh our own imperfect self a willing heart to accept god's correction or cleansing grace and a sensitive heart to follow god's command now quickly let's look at revelation um where john has the same type of experience uh you'll see a lot of parallels there as well Revelation chapter 1 <clears throat> I believe it's now, uh, starting with verse 
I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. Interesting to talk about all of that, but not to go there at all. Our focus is different here. Um, I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on that Lord's day. And I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Tiatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then uh, I um, turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden stamps, uh, lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man dressed in a robe that is, and you can see the human limitations as he tried to explain this, dressed in a robe and, um, and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was as white as wool. Well, that's the only closest thing that he could, the word or, or object that he could use there. Um, White as snow. So he, he felt un, uncomfortable explaining it by just saying that it is, uh, it is white as uh, wool. So he goes on to exp- use another, uh, another, uh, um, um, another ex- um, illustration by saying white as snow. His eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze that is fired in, the, in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading uh, waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword that came out of his mouth. His face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and asked, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. I... But look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Again, some observations. Authentic worship is what we see here. It was was led by the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Authentic worship finds itself, find, find the person who is involved with it, that that person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Again, here also we see the high view of the risen Savior. And as we see it, we can see the heart of worship and submission as as he falls down at his feet, as though he was dead. And then... Here we see the Lord reaches out, touches him, just like we saw in in, in Isaiah, restores his person, acceptance of God's sustaining grace. The other one was cleansing grace, and this this is sustaining grace. So authentic worship, you get the idea. Uh, When you don't have this kind of of a heart of worship, then uh, it, it, it... you need to ask yourself, how real are you with the Lord? If you are authentic with the Lord, these are some of the things that happen. And when one has no experience of authentic worship, then it, it, he or she finds it difficult to transfer that into authentic relationships. Right? For me to be authentic to you, initially I should have this supreme high 
uh, intentional uh, high level of authenticity with my Lord, which is what authentic worship is all about. But then that percolates down into the very soul and very cells of my being. And then I become his hands and feet and heart to all that are around me, which is relationships, right? Whether it's my sisters, my brothers, my peers, my friends, my boss, it doesn't matter. God has placed placed us in different spaces of influences. And each of those, at each of those spaces, he has given us huge amount of connection and interaction. And in that space, when God places us, these authenticity that we received from him and that, that experience that we have with him must emanate and come out. So authentic relationships uh, is to be practiced as well. <clears throat> and I'll give you one quick example. My time's have gone. Um, <clears throat> Luke chapter 19. One, just, just, just a tidbit of, of, uh, of a characteristic of an authentic relationship. This is Luke chapter 19 where the story of Zacchaeus was uh, retold, starting from verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And And all who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, I, and if I, have, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. And the Lord um, says, Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. The key overarching idea of the authenticity of relationship that we see here is Christ showing selflessness. Christ showing selflessness. He, had, he didn't have to go to this guy's house. He was on his mission. What was his mission? To be at Jerusalem at a certain point in the turn of history and be crucified on the cross of Calvary. My food is to do the will of my Father who has sent me. He was always sure about that. He was never confused. There was not a moment where he, was, he had any confusion about what his mission was. And so he's always, if you read uh, the, the, the Gospel of Mark, you can see immediately, 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 he's, he's on a mission. He's, he's starting from Bethlehem, Bethlehem all the way to, to Jer- uh, Jerusalem and on the cross. It's, it's a constant move. Constant. He, he was absolutely sure about what he was going to do. So he didn't have to sh- slow down here. He didn't have to... Make, give a visit to Zacchaeus, but he was selfless. He was selfless because of, uh, and, and because it has some intention, uh, intentionality wrapped around it. He says, it is necessary that I spend the night with. So it is intentional. Authentic relationships are intentional. You have to make up your mind to do that. You want to, you want to be ready for it. It's intentional. Authentic relationship is willing to take risks. What were the others saying? He has gone to be with sinners. So their reputation is going down the drain already, right? 
they are they are saying that this is this guy is supposed to be son of god the messiah and he's hanging out with sinners and wine bibbers and and prostitutes and tax collectors what's wrong with this guy and this is this happened in multiple occasions as well so authentic relationship is willing to take risks and authentic relationship should and always must be influential here what happened jesus selfless authentic injection into the thick of this man's life changed him right he decided he's completely turning around he had a 180 turn degree turning here he's giving everything away and and to the point where jesus says salvation has come to this house so authentic worship and authentic relationships characterizes uh or feeds on to who we are as authentic or real people there's another another portion i'm going to skip uh, when you get a chance read the martha mary and jesus um interaction where mary was sitting at the feet of jesus soaking in the word and martha was too busy serving and then martha had a few choice words for her sister and that interaction happens this is in luke chapter 10 verse 38 to 42 we won't go there but this is some of the uh, some of the uh, since most of you may be familiar with that that portion this is some of the observations that i made in that martha mary uh, jesus dynamic of the relationship what is important in is the question that we need to ask our self appointed task or genuine relationship martha wasn't doing anything wrong it was a good thing that she was doing but it was self appointed she took it upon herself that she needs to be doing all these things good things but it was a self appointed task that she did for herself but then our self appointed task takes over the importance of having a relationship as mary did sat at the feet and heard and being taught by him then the tasks becomes burdensome that's what happened so again it is part of the uh, dynamic of uh, authentic relationship serving is good service is not our problem we love to serve i'm sure this church would not function effectively without a lot of you serving serving is good and service is not our problem it is what we leave out of the service martha was serving martha was doing a good thing but what she left out of the service is that interaction that genuine relationship of sitting at the feet of jesus and then taking care of business thereafter that's what she uh, was missing thirdly a preoccupation if you read the if you read the, uh, the 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 narrative martha goes and says lord why can't you tell my sister to come and help me he that she's not helping me a preoccupation with what seems to be wrong with others is a is a window to our inauthenticity if we are inauthentic we're too worried about what's wrong with others my sister is not helping Authentic relationship with Jesus should become the source of all other relationship just like Mary practiced. So these two authentic worship and authentic relationship 
helps us become authentic or real people. Authentic relation. I, I, I won't be able to cover any of the any of the other R's, but let's massage this as much as we can. Authentic relations require humility. In this one, we will read <clears throat> Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection or mercy or make uh, mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then as classic as Pauline writing is, he illustrates it masterfully by talking about the condescension of Christ in the remaining verses. How Christ, when he wanted to establish an authentic relationship with mankind, stepped down from the practice of his godship, some aspects of his godship, and became human so that he could have this relationship with us. So humility is another characteristic of uh, authentic relationship. So real. So the question to all of you is, all of you and myself is, how real are we? Is Sunday morning uh, by default? Nine o'clock, I need to be here, so I somehow hurry, sometimes brush my teeth, sometimes I don't, or whatever the scenario. And some of the ladies wear scarves, so you don't have to, to comb your hair, or whatever the situation is. I just need to be there at nine o'clock. And when we are here and we're done, we check off the little box saying, yes, I did church. If that's you, if that's me, then I can tell you that I'm not authentic in my worship. And if I'm not authentic in my worship, I'm not authentic in my relationships. And if I'm not authentic in my relationships, I am irrelevant to the people around me. And that Christ, the hope of glory, will not be visible when they look at me. That makes sense? It is serious. It's actually... Uh, heart-wrenching to see people go through this. 50, 60, 70 years of going through the motions and then at some point decides, I don't like church. I don't like people. Or I don't like the way they do Lord's Supper. I don't like the way they use guitar or whatever the scenario is. Ask yourself the question, is church for me or me Essential for church. Is Christ and the authentic relationship that I need to have with him, is it for my own good? Or is it for the furtherance of the ultimate purpose of displaying his glory and his worthness through our lives so that his kingdom may be extended? That is the purpose. That is the purpose for which we uh, R to, to follow. So I think I have enough time to do the second R, relevant. 
What's the definition appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstances of contemporary interest appropriate to the surrounding context, or another word would be pertinent? Let's go back to Philippians uh, chapter Philippians chapter two verses twelve through sixteen. Therefore, to chapter two verses twelve through sixteen. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation. It's a deep discussion we could have with that, but. Work out or practice, live out, practice your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And the reason for doing that is so that you may be blameless for, uh, pure and you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. The purpose of being authentic is spelled out here, so that we are, to a crooked and perverted generation around us, shine like stars. So that we are working out our salvation. And how do you do it? Without grumbling, without arguing, so that it points the rest of the people to an unquestionable, unblemished testimony or witness. That means that we become influential in the spaces where God has placed us in. When your witness is questionable, your life is full of blemish, and the testimony is somewhat shaky, we lose relevance in the spaces where God has placed us. <coughs> Ethical, hardworking, practicing integrity, respecting and honoring others, respecting dignity of others, treating others with, with justice, speaking out for those who cannot speak out, all of those makes us relevant and they, it comes out of our relationship with Christ because he actually did all of that for us. That's one place where he spoke out on behalf of us. Right? The message of Christ never loses its relevance. It's always relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. But coming from a person who has made himself or herself irrelevant by being argumentative, grumbling, and then the message loses its reach. The message is still punching the powerful and it's the same. Its relevance continues, but the messengers puts facades in front of it so that it's not seen easily, visibly seen outside. I want to quickly go to another portion in the scripture to, to illustrate this. This is Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 5 through 7. And uh, if anyone follows uh, Jim, um, Tim Keller, you probably know these verses because his church in, in New York, this is in, in their mission statement, whether we completely agree with it or not. But it's applicable. 29, Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. 
just a little context. Israelites were taken captive to Babylon and uh, Prophet Hananiah tells them that, uh, you know, they should not assimilate and, and they should um, just, just wait out the time and then come back and, and things of that nature. And, and, and Hananiah also tells them not to, be, uh, not to be listening to prophets and diviners and so on and so forth. So Jeremiah writes them a letter, and this is part of that, that letter. Uh, the Israelites in, in Babylon had uh, probably three positions they could have taken. One, as we read in Psalm 139, I believe, they, they can hang their harps on the, on the tree and sit on, uh, on, uh, on the banks of, of the rivers of Babylon and sit there and cry and cry and cry. That's one option they could have taken. Second option they were thinking about was that they go actually fight and try to have a coup uh, and topple the most powerful king of the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Third option is what Jeremiah is trying to tell them, which is that the 70 years of captivity is ordained. It's going to happen no matter what. They're not going, they will have to live the 70 years there. That's, that, that's, a, that's a given. But do you sit and cry and not even worship, hang up your, your uh, harps and, and not do that? Or do you go fight? What he's saying is build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives, not from among them, keeping, keeping the purity within the, within the covenant community, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where you have been sent to sent into exile. And pray to the Lord that on its behalf for in its welfare... Uh, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. What Jeremiah is suggesting is the 70 years of captivity is ordained. It's going to happen. So when you are then done with the captivity and you go back to Jerusalem, if you were sitting at the banks of river uh, pity and crying and doing it, not doing anything, you die off. If you go fight Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to demolish you. What we need is after the 70 years of captivity, when you go back, we want people, able-bodied men. We need to rebuild Jerusalem. We need to go back and put it back to shape. And that's why he's saying, for this short uh, period of time that God has appointed in your life, in the city, yes, you are in exile, you are in a foreign land, but you are to then do what? Live normally. Build houses, be part of the community, contribute to the community, be relevant to the community. So that when the 70 years of, is up, you are going back with the kind of strength that you need to have to rebuild Jerusalem. So ask you, ask this question, living a life that contributes to the welfare of your surroundings, where the Lord has temporarily placed you, it's a good thing. That's how you become relevant. 
hostility around us should not drive us to seclusion. Don't hang up your stuff and sit there and just give up on things. Hostility should not drive us to seclusion, nor should it radicalize us to fight. We need to be participatory, contributing to the culture, not endorsing all that culture is practicing, but contributing to the culture as salt and light, and have something to offer to the culture, being relevant. Realize God is in control. The 70 years and all of that. It's, he's in control. He ordained this. Later on in chapter 29 it says. What I have for you. Verse 11 you can read that. It's all for your own good he says. Realize God is in control. Even when according to our definition. Of control. Everything around is chaotic. These people thought that it was chaotic. Loss of authenticity is another major cause for loss of relevance, as we explained. In, an inauthentic person is an irrelevant person. Five minutes left. Redemptive life. Let's go back to Philippians 1. If you were to read the entire Philippians, and I did this in Trivandrum. Uh, for, a, for a study. This is just a snapshot of it. In just, in just chapter 1, you see the idea of, of gospel and giving, living a redemptive life mentioned multiple times. In uh, verse 3, it says that because of your partnership, this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, uh, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians were part and parcel of what, what, what Paul was doing. Partnership in the gospel. Verse 12. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So they were part of the advancing of the gospel. Furtherance of the kingdom. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. What's happening? It is a Christ-proclaiming life. Anyone who is a Christ follower must practice a Christ-proclaiming life. And that is part being redemptive. In verse 20 it says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, uh, as always, with courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Uh, practice a Christ-honoring life. Not only a Christ-proclaiming life, but a Christ-honoring life. And then verse 27. Um, not 27, 21. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Live with Christ as the only passion. Live with Christ as the only passion. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Christ proclaiming life. Christ honoring life. And Christ as the only passion. Those are three things that you can think of. Being redemptive. Being redemptive. And so real. And relevant. And redemptive. Quickly, with one minute, let's talk about restorative, which is the last R. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm not going to read it, 
Paul is sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to the church at Philippi for what? For taking care of them. Paul needed them much more than probably uh, the church at Philippi. Paul was imprisoned and was advancing in uh, age and with all the ailments and others. He needed these two guys to be of support to him. But what he does is sends them to the church at Philippi so they can be restored. There were some unity issues, some slight quarrels and other things going on. And so he sends these two young brothers to Philippi to restore relationships. Our purpose in life as we interact with others as church to have that have this restorative component this restorative component so being real being relevant being redemptive and practicing restoration let me ask you this question if a brother or sister is hurting and i'm sure that you all do this but if you have if you're not practicing it is there anyone with the gift of mercy anyone with the gift of intercession and others go into these people and invest in them invest in them i told you in my little bio that i invest in people human capital because it is the most rewarding thing that you can get better than stock market when you invest in life invest in people whether they reciprocate or not you can see how god's hand works through you in their lives and restoration is very much a ministry that church should be deeply involved in church that fails in restoration a church that is not real a church that is not uh, relevant a church that is not redemptive fails to be restorative and when they are not re- uh, restoring relationships what happens again it's status quo right sunday morning status quo so my challenge to you all of you in the given time that that we discussed this again we were not able to go into deep depths of this examine yourself individually because church is the collective expression of individual believers and therefore examine yourself individually and if the lord is touching some parts of your life to where i'm not as real um there's a level of fakeness in me or if you feel that uh, you're not relevant because you're not real or if you feel that as much as you need to be uh, shining forth Christ so that other others can come to the saving knowledge so that you you're being redemptive and if you're not there to hurt and cry with those who cry and enjoy the celebrations of life with those who are enjoying and to be there in between all of those extremes then make up your mind even if if that's the only thing that i i can leave you with make up your mind to be that and i'm telling you if every one of you take up the gap that is you find yourself in and fill it 
this church will need the entire building. And this church will change Bangalore from where it is now to where it will be, which our words, we will find uh, difficult to describe what it is. But it starts with each of you. It starts with individuals. And it's my prayer that, that you will uh, certainly commit yourself to doing that. May God bless you.